Uh, this is the last week of the worship series. Next week, first of all, one announcement, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but next week we'll be starting the uh, Financial Peace Legacy class. Uh, I believe Mario's going to be teaching that. And uh, while, there, while there is, are some materials that go along with it, the first, the first week is free. If you're not sure if, you'd wanna, if that's right for you, uh, will you guys be at the Welcome Center as well? If you have any questions about it, you can be at the Welcome Center. Um, and I'd encourage you to get involved in that. Uh, we're also going to start a new series next week, a uh, three-week series on God and money. And, you know, sometimes people will go, oh, money, hey, that's all that church ever talks about is money. I've never been to a church that only talked about money. But if you go to a church, and uh, you're sitting in here, so maybe you don't. But if you go to a church, if you run into somebody who goes to a church that only talks about money, they need to find another church, and you can encourage them to do that because there's more to life than that. There's more to following God than that. On the other hand, if you go to a church that never talks about money, you need to go to another church because that's a big part of life. really is. You know, some people like to talk about movies, and uh, God doesn't have a lot to say about movies. I mean, when I was growing up, we thought he did. We thought he didn't like them, but, uh, but he really doesn't have a lot to say about it. Some people like to talk about sports. And God's got a little bit to say about sports, you know. He says, when you run, you run, run to win the prize, and um, bodily exercise profits little, you know, a few, few things in there. Um, some people like to talk about politics. God's got a little bit to say about that. Doesn't have nearly as much to say about it as most people think he does. Uh, really, what he's got to say about it is, I've got it. But uh, uh, everybody likes to talk about money. So I don't like to talk about money. Oh, really? When's the last sale you, you went to? And God, man, I bought this on the, that's money. Yeah. And God's got a lot to say about that. And we're not going to cover it all in three weeks, but we're going we're to cover some of it. And it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, I don't know if it'll be as much fun as the worship series, though, because this one, this one has been terrific. We're going to close out uh, this week talking about the power of worship, which I know isn't what's on the front of the bulletin, but... That's okay. I'm preaching. The bulletin isn't. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read one passage of Scripture here. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the power that is, in, that is in your word and the power that you have put in the body of Christ, in your people, the access that we have to the God of angel armies. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to us today and help us to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to touch on three areas of uh, power in worship today. And the first is power against the enemy. Two weeks ago, Wayne talked about, uh, spoke on worship warfare and pointed out that what we see, what we see is not really what is being seen in the heavenlies. You know, we see a dance or we see somebody on their knees crying or we see somebody doing this um, or we hear somebody singing praises to the Lord or shouting to the Lord. In the heavenlies, uh, what is seen is something far different from that. And if it's the enemy who's doing the looking, it's something that uh, can be actually quite terrifying. 
based on you know what's going on at the time because uh, things really are released in the heavenlies but I want to unpack this a little bit more the, uh, even though Wayne did an excellent job I, he could have taken 10 weeks on it so I'll I'll uh, I'll stretch out and we'll take a week and a third on it um, the verse that we read together the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds a lot of you are familiar with that passage let let's let's camp there for just a minute and first of all uh, talk about our enemy because if you got weapons you use them I mean unless you're hunting turkey or something you, you use them against an enemy is what is the reason that that weapons are given to you uh, passage that a lot of you are familiar with most Christians are familiar with but most don't actually own is Ephesians six twelve, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against pow the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. When I was in early elementary school, uh, the enemy was Germany. <clears throat> uh, that would have been 1956 when I started early elementary school. And, and if you think about it, that's actually, that was closer to the end of World War II than we are to 9-11. So, I mean, it was very fresh on people's minds. And I remember being a first grader sitting in the lunchroom at Millersville Elementary School and being told, you know how that country got its name? Germany? They have so many germs, they could kill everybody in the whole world with them. And I thought, oh, no. This is, this is awful. I was six years old. I mean, you know. By the time I was seven, I wised up. <laughs> but by that time, Germany was already passing off the scene as the enemy, and the enemy had now become the Red Scare, the Red Menace, and communism and everything. And I, and I, I would go to bed at night. I think I've mentioned this, and some of you are old enough to probably have these similar experiences. Um, while I was a young kid, I would go to bed at night, you know, just dreading that I might hear those airplanes flying overhead getting ready to drop bombs on us uh, because that was what we were kind of being indoctrinated with uh, of course with the fall of the Berlin Wall we kind of decided that we had defeated communism I don't know we're buying everything from China but we defeated communism somehow uh, but they're not the enemy anymore the enemy is now Al-Qaeda and that's pretty you know, it's a pretty scary thing. But, you know, the thing, truth of the matter is, this too shall pass. Because the enemy is never people. It's not about people. And we get so wound up and so involved in that. The enemy is the, the evil forces, the powers of this dark world, manipulation, Pride, sectarianism, envy, intimidation, exploitation, disobedience. And, and every, every nation, every, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, every, every belief, every belief system, every, whether it's an economic system or a political system or religious system, all of them have people who function, who operate this way. And when we operate this way, the enemy wins. It's not like, okay, if we win, God's going to win, and if 
if they lose, the devil's going to lose. No. If we function this way, the devil wins. Period. Because our, because our enemies, th- these enemies will only go away when the king of kings and lord of lords splits the eastern sky and comes down and puts his feet on Mount Carmel and establishes his rule on the earth. That's the only time that these enemies will go. They don't fade away like these earthly enemies that we're so obsessed with. And so the weapons that we fight them with, you know, we have a tendency to... I know that we all know that our weapons are not carnal, that they're not the weapons that the, that the world fights with, uh, and that our enemies are not people, but we don't own it, and I know that we don't own it because I read our Facebook pages. That was so good, I might say it again. Depends <laughs> on if you got it or not. I mean, go look at your page and just see who the... Who, Fight fire with fire. Well, those who end up fighting fire with fire usually end up with ashes. I understand that the concept of, you know, if you've got a forest fire going, you know, doing a burn off and keeping the, trying to, but if your kitchen catches on fire, you don't, you don't fight that by going and starting a fire in your living room. Your house will burn down. That's not the way, that's not the right way to do it. It, the cry appeals to our flesh, but the enemy wins regardless when we go there. That's how the church ended up burning heretics, such as John Huss and people who translated the Bible so that others could read it. Oh, what a terrible thing. And ended up hanging witches at Salem and stuff like that. We fight and fire with fire. John Dawson, who's one of the uh, main leaders, early leaders of uh, Youth with a Mission. I, I heard him speak I, probably 20 years ago I, uh, up at Belmont, and uh, he's written a bunch of good books, but probably the one that I've enjoyed the most is Taking Our Cities for God. And, and he has this story in that book, but he, he shared it also at that time. They, he was on an outreach with Youth with a Mission, and, and I don't remember which city it was, but it was a South American city. And they were doing a lot of street ministry. And nothing was happening. No one was responding. No, there was absolutely, it was just zero. And after a few days of this, they got the team together and spent a day in prayer going, okay, God, what? Show us what we need to do. And during that time of prayer, they received a revelation, they felt like, that the spirit that controlled this city was a spirit of pride. It was, it was a city that had a lot of wealth in it city that had a lot of old wealth and a lot of influence and, uh, and, and things. And so a spirit of pride sort of had a grip on the city. And so the next day when they went out, they didn't go out to proclaim the gospel. They went out to kneel down on the streets, repent, and humbly confess before God. And as they did so, boom, breakthrough happened. Because you don't fight arrogance with arrogance. You don't fight pride with pride. Humility is the cure for arrogance, just as faith is the cure for unbelief. You know, it's, it's the opposite things that you, that you have to come and, and fight with. When Jesus came and defeated sin and death, he didn't do it by bringing legions of angels with him. He did it by going to the cross and in humble obedience to the Father, 
allowing himself to be sacrificed. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. These, and these weapons are released by worship and praise. Wayne referenced the uh, situation with Jehoshaphat. Uh, when uh, uh, Moab, there were three armies, I think, that came against, uh, came against Judah. And Judah didn't have the power to overcome them. And I won't go back through the story again, but... Uh, the prophecy said, you know, put the, the Lord's going to fight this battle. Put the worshipers in the front and go out. And they got out there and everybody was dead because the Lord had fought the battle. But I want you to hear the word of prophecy that came to Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army because for the battle is not yours but God's. The first thing we have to realize is who the battle belongs to. I mean, when we're, when we're involved with an enemy, the battle is, is the Lord's. It's His. And worship is what releases Him. Our anger does not release God to work in a situation. Our efforts do not release God to work in a situation. Worship releases God. It, 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 it says, okay, you got it. My hands are off of it now. It's yours. You've got it, and, and things actually get done. Can you imagine? You know, you've got, you got, a, you got a, a, a troublesome coworker or a troublesome roommate or something. I, you know, that all changes when you get married, but, you know, a troublesome uh, roommate or you've got a troublesome schoolmate or something like that. Uh, how about praying about it? How about praying for them? I had, a, I had a troublesome co-worker back when I used to work for the Social Security Administration, and this gal just, I don't know, I, maybe she didn't like me or something. Go figure. Uh, but uh, it was, it, you know, and I, I, for a couple of years, I was just like, you know, what, what's, what's with this woman? And then the Lord finally got a hold of me and said, would you like for me to do something here? I said, well, yeah, well, why don't you ask me? So, you know, I, I prayed and began to worship, prayed for her. Well, she got a promotion and moved to another office. <laughs> Worked out well for everybody. She didn't like it. She came back to our office. She was a totally changed woman, though. Ah. God, you never know how he's going to do this stuff. Best of people. But you have to give the, the battle belongs to him. Over in uh, 1 Samuel, I talked a few weeks ago about Saul and how he lost his dynasty. Lost his dynasty because he, wouldn't, he didn't wait for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice. He saw the enemy getting stronger and his, and his guys fading away, and so it caused him to, to go ahead and, and presumptuously uh, offer the sacrifice himself, which he wasn't supposed to do. Well, the Israelites ended up winning that battle. Saul was not the one who led them to victory in it, though. It was his son, Jonathan, who led them to victory. Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, attacked the Philistine outpost, just the two of them. And when they attacked the Philistine outpost, the Philistines were defeated at that outpost by the two of them, and, the, and, and, and panic spread through the Philistine ranks. 
But listen to what Jonathan said before they, before they went over and attacked. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, and oftentimes it has to be the young one because that's the only one who will actually listen to it. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. That's something to get down in here and understand that it, it, it's not about how many we've got. It's not about how much money we've got. It's not about how much influence we've got or how much power we've got. Not, once the Lord decides, nothing can hinder him, whether by many or by few. In fact, I mean, there is a place for us. There is a, a job for us to do, but we are never the key. It's not a matter of, well, if, I, if you don't have faith, God can't do that. Well, if you don't have faith and God wants to do that, guess what? He's going to do it anyway. You're just not going to get to be a part of it. That's that, yeah. I'll, I'll teach you preach. That, that, yeah, we'll, we'll do it together. That works. Yeah. Gideon, Gideon, when he got ready to fight the Midianites, he had too many people to win. He called, he called uh, for troops to volunteer. 32,000 showed up. That sounds like a big number unless you're fighting against an army that is as numerous as the sand on the seashore, which is probably more than 32,000. And the Lord said, you got too many people. You can't, I, can't, I can't do this battle with this many people because they'll think they did it. And he said, tell everybody who's a coward to go home. All you chickens. Oh, you cowards out there. Those of you who don't want to go fight with us, y'all go home. 22,000 went home. <laughs> Left him with 10,000. God said, you got too many. I can't do this. You'll think that, that you accomplished it. So he's, he, he sifted them out again. You know, ended up with 300. You know the story. But, but the principle behind the story is the important thing. The battle is the Lord, and nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So we just need to release him. We just need to release him. And uh, one more verse before I move on from this. And I, I was surprised that Wayne didn't put this one up because he's the one who showed it to me. Isaiah 30, 31, 32. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his rod, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of timbrels and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. How many of you watch NFL films? Okay. <laughs> but you know the principle, I mean, if you watch NFL films, sometimes they'll have some behind-the-scenes things and the guys are getting ready to go out and... Uh, getting ready to go out on the, on the field of battle, on the gridiron, and they got, their, they got their, 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 their headphones in, they got their earplugs in, and they're all listening to Brahms' lullaby. Nice classical music. No! No, they're listening to, you know, da-da-da, you know, some kind of stuff. Get them ready to go out there and get somebody. You know, and when we, when we release, I mean, God, he likes it. It's the same with him. 
You know, we're down here, we're going, I know who stands with you, goes before me. I know who stands behind. You know, God's going, yeah, yeah, let's get down there and do something for these people. Yeah. Release him. You need an enemy defeated? Worship. Worship. Power against the enemy. Power for endurance. When I was a sophomore in high school, I transferred and went to a new school. And my TWSAA rules, I was ineligible to participate in athletics. And so, uh, unfortunately, they will let you practice. This won't let you play. And one is more fun than the other, and it's not practice. So, but anyway, I, somehow or another, I ended up practicing with the track team now I'm quick but I'm not fast <laughs> I know I know my limitations and we got to the first track meet I went with them and uh, I, you know I couldn't officially participate but apparently I could unofficially participate and they had never assigned me to anything since I wasn't really part of the team. And the coach said, you, you can run the 440, which is a 400 meter now. And I went, yeah, yeah, I'll run the 440. I'm 16 years old. I'm in good shape. I'm, oof. And so I got, I never run a 440 before. <laughs> and we took off and for the first 80 yards, I was winning that race. And then the other guys got faster. <laughs> by 150 yards, I was last in that race. And by 300 yards, I was despairing of life. <laughs> and I'll never forget coming around that, that, that last corner. I had about 50 yards to go. And the look on the coach's face <laughs> as, he had, as he had, you know, come out to, you know, it was like, can I be sued for killing a student <laughs> who's never run a 440 before? Somehow I finished that thing. I don't know. <laughs> Endurance. There's a romantic notion of, of living life like a sprint, you know. Yeah, only the good die young. All that rot. And, uh, and you know, all the, 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 the rock stars who die, you know, uh, Jimmy and Janice and, uh, and, and Kurt, they, uh, they were all 27 when they when they died, and uh, uh, Jim Morrison was 28. Buddy Holly was, Rodney? <laughs> 22. <laughs> you know what? 22 years isn't a sprint. There's a lot of life can be lived in 22 years. 10 years isn't a sprint when you get right down to it. Most of us know this particular passage of Scripture, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know the verse that comes before it? Because that's not the beginning of a sentence. Even the youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. We all all hit those places in our lives. 
1 Samuel 30, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David had taken his men off uh, to a battle, and when they returned, they discovered that their, their town had been raided, and everybody had been taken, and everything had been taken. That's the context of this. You ever felt like people were against you? You ever been in one of those situations? Yeah. Well, you know what? It might have just been your imagination because most of us think the world revolves around us, and truth of the matter is they probably weren't even thinking about you. But so, so some of the time it's just your imagination. Sometimes they really are against you. And sometimes it's deserved, and sometimes it isn't. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they are or aren't or if it's deserved or isn't deserved. The way you endure through those times is not let's get this all sorted out and, and blah, 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 blah. it may not sort out. You have to find strength in the Lord. You have to find strength in His presence. You find, you find strength by drawing close to Him. Psalmist says, which would be David, 42.5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God and then it goes on in verse 11 to say why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God to repeat an entire verse a second time must be pretty important Psalm 43 5 why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I don't know of another verse in Scripture that is repeated entirety three times. You ever been discouraged? You ever been downcast? Every person in this room and every person out of this room has had that experience. And the way that you get through it the way that you get out of it is I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There's never a reason not to praise him. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He gave his son for you. And when you praise him, things change. When we worship, we're changed. Though our trials may remain, we are changed. And when you come in here, when you, when you come into this place, you may come in downcast. But if you will enter in it all, you will leave different from the way. Now, you know, it depends on what you carry with you as to how long it's going to last. Now, you, but you can continue to carry it with you because it's, we don't have a monopoly on it here. Oh. If you come in and you spend the service like this, I'm bored just sitting here. You know, or like this. Look at that one. Nothing's going to happen, but you get engaged. I mean, even, even, even to just, even, even this, you know, if this is all you can do. 
Do this. Maybe, maybe something will hit you. Maybe you'll catch something. Because once you do, encouragement begins to come. Strength begins to come. Endurance begins to come. You know, nothing's changed but me. But you're God. You're great. You saved me. You redeemed me. I will yet praise him. My Savior. My God. One, one last verse quickly. I need to move on. There, there's a specific context here, but there's also a general maxim. And the general maxim is the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where your strength comes from. If it comes from, if it comes from somewhere else, even the useful stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who, have, those who wait upon the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who draw in His presence, is the fullness of joy, will renew their strength. Power against the enemy, power for endurance, power for freedom. This touches on another area entirely, but I've referenced Romans 12.1 almost every week in this, uh, in this series. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship. I've referenced it virtually every week because worship is all that we say and do. It's not it's not just all that we sing and dance. It's all that we say and do. And there's a freedom here. There's an incredible freedom here. A lot of, another verse that a lot of Christians know but don't own. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you, if you do, if you follow the example that I have set for you, if you hold to my teaching, if you... If you will live life this way, you will know the truth, and you'll be free. Your true and proper worship, your spirit and truth worship isn't, isn't really about singing and dancing. They, they, are, they're, they're, they prime the pump. They, they help you to get there. But, your, but the true worship is, is how we live. It's about a, a living as a sacrifice. Unto God, when I was when I was a kid, there was a, a simple maxim that they would teach us, and uh, really I learned it in Sunday school. But even in school, they would teach it now. But I don't think they do anymore because I I think well, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they don't do it anymore. But the simple maxim was just very this: number one, God; number two, others; number three, self. You know, that was before we decided that, oops, go back. That was before we decided that uh, we couldn't talk about God and self should be number one because everybody's, everybody has poor opinion of themselves and we need to help them build up their opinion of themselves. No, you need to help, if you build up your opinion of God. Who you are will take care of it. I mean, that, that's taken care of. He, he died for you. That's, that makes you pretty important. That makes you pretty, makes you pretty special. He puts your spirit inside of you uh god other self you know so you so when you live my life as god is, is number one and when we, and and others i put them in front of myself because that's how god lives 
God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus came and he served. He said, uh, you call me teacher and Lord, rightly so. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you need to do what, what I, you need to do what you've seen me do. Do it for each other. And then you can look out for number three. With yourself. And so when we do that, Jesus said, got a couple more passages here. John 5, uh, 41 through 44. This is, this is a passage that doesn't get the tension it needs to get. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, when, when it's all about him, you don't have to have the attaboys and because attaboys are binding. They're, they, they, they're, in, they're enslaving. They're chaining. They're addictive. Whenever we are seeking the approval of others, the love of God is blunted in our hearts. God may want you to, God may want you to um, minister to or hang out with or become friends with somebody that the rest of the people that you know don't approve of. He asked that of Jesus all the time. Jesus did it. People went, How, look at who he's hanging out with. Just saying. Well, if we're looking for the approval of others, our faith is blunted because we're, we're, trying, we're trying to please people because we might need them. Well, yeah. We need him. We need him. The arm of flesh will fail you. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. Uh, they, they fall down or destroy. We're risen and stand upright because we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And if your faith is blunted, you can't please God because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everyone who, who, who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, of those who worship him. One last verse. How do you, how, how, okay, so how do, how do we do this? Colossians 3, 23, 24. My, my mom used to quote this verse a lot. And it's another one. This would be a great life verse. Everybody, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the, Lord's Christ you are, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. The life lived to please God is not only true worship, it frees us. It frees us from the fear of man. It frees us to love the unlovable. It frees us to, to serve the unworthy. How many of you have an unworthy boss? That's okay, Corbin. Connor, he's gone. You can... <laughs> a little joke there. I was making that. Because <laughs> he is a worthy boss. But, I mean, almost all of us have experienced, you know, uh, man, yeah, that, that's... Uh, this, this, they don't pay me enough. They don't deserve... If that's who you're working for, you got a problem. But if you're working for God, he's the same at Kroger as he is at McDonald's as he is at Nissan. Same God. Wherever it is. And you're free. You're free. You're not, you're not shackled to be, to be serving somebody else. The world would teach us 
to not care about what others think, but it teaches us to not care about others think by teaching us to not care about others. There was never anybody on this planet who cared about others more than Jesus Christ. And there was never anybody on this planet who cared less what other people thought than Jesus Christ. Because he was zeroed in. He was fixed in. And his entire life was a life of worship. Because that's where the freedom is. Lord, with your eyes we can see the unseen. Lord, with your ears we can hear spirits' whispers. Lord, with your heart we can love when we're angry. Lord, with your hands we bring good news to all the earth. Is that the next line? It's one of Barbie's songs. Would you stand with me? And with those who are going to uh, pray for people, minister to people, if they'd come forward this morning. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I know one thing about you. You're not free. You may think you are. You may think, oh, I'm getting to do anything I want to do. I'm making all these choices and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're just getting more and more and more and more enslaved. I know. I've been there. And a lot of people here have been. If you don't know Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. And there's a, there's a freedom. There's something beautiful on the other side of coming to know Christ. If you're here and, and you do know Christ, but you've got, you just got, it's a fallen world. You've got something you need prayer for physical healing, relationship, bad boss, you know, whatever it may be, finances, you come. If you're here and you don't need to come, you still need to worship. So let's worship together and invite his presence into this place and into our hearts. When we worship, we are changed. When we come to God's presence, we will never be the same. When we worship, we are changed. 
talk about, when I talk about who the enemy really is, spiritual weapons as opposed to our own fleshly attempts to do things. Sometimes people may think, well, you know, that you're, you're not living in reality. Oh, actually, I'm, I am living in reality, but it reminds me of my dad. My dad used to say, uh, sometimes people would say, those folks are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. And he would say, yeah, well, some people are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. Well, let me put another spin on that. Some people are so earthly-minded, they're no earthly good. Because the only people who can really impact things are those who are in touch with him. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to change everything, to defeat the enemy and sin and death, and who did so through love and grace and mercy. May those weapons become mighty in you. May they change the lives of those around you. And may they impact eternity. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.